to another episode of the Obey Podcast. So last episode, I went on for about 40 minutes about the $15 minimum wage as I ruffled through about 10 articles. And as much as I enjoyed that, I wanted to do something a little more simple for, for this follow-up episode. Um, I wanted to talk specifically about an op-ed that Mitt Romney um, had published in the Wall Street Journal last Wednesday. It's called Biden Stimulus is a $1.9 trillion clunker. Um, and the reason I wanted to bring this up is just because I thought it was interesting to hear a Republican critique the plan, and I think that shows a lot about both the current Democrats and the Republicans when you read the, 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 the critique. And I, I think it just opens up a lot, a lot of doors on things that are worth talking about. So I was thinking that I'd just break this down, and I'd go through it, and then we can talk about um, some of the stuff I'm seeing and and, and, and what, what, what your takeaways should be. Okay. So I, I think I'm just going to read through this and then add my commentary as I go. So, so, so that, that's what we'll do. Democrats are anxious for any excuse to blow up the Senate filibuster, the last procedural hurdle to one-party government. Their latest is, there, is that Republicans oppose the president's $1.9 trillion stimulus package. Despite having passed five bipartisan COVID-19 relief bills to date, including one barely seven weeks ago, they claim our opposition demonstrates historic intransigence. Um, okay, so, so, so that's just kind of political commentary. Um, they, they aren't going to blow up the filibuster. I don't know why Mitt Romney's bothering to open it this way. It doesn't look like Kirsten Sinema and um, Joe Manchin are willing to do that, so I don't think that's that important, although he, he's not wrong that a lot of people do want it blown up. Um, okay, so, so continuing on. No, it demonstrates that the $1.9 trillion bill is a clunker. It would waste hundreds of billions of dollars, do nothing meaningful, meaningful to get the kids back to school, and enact policies that work against job creation. Okay. Uh, it's kind of his thesis he's lying out there. And I think it's worth noting that a lot of the uh, information I've been hearing from the left pretty much cites two things when they talk about this bill. It's getting money urgently to people who are completely broke and to get kids back in school. Those are the main talking points I've been hearing. I, I, I could be wrong. And um, those are kind of the things he starts to hit hard um, early on here. Okay, so the, the Congressional Budget Office's recent analysis of the plan found that more than a third of the proposed funding, $700 billion, wouldn't be spent until 2022 or later, undermining the administration's claim that the massive price tag is justified for urgent pandemic-related related needs. The Biden stimulus is unsound economic policy. High unemployment isn't the result of too little money in American pockets. It's because of the pandemic. Okay, so pause there. So it's so, just so, so one thing he's hitting on which is nice to hear, is a lot of this money isn't urgent at all. It's a long time horizon on a lot of things in this bill. He goes on to talk about how the education funding doesn't, most of it doesn't kick in until years down the road. So saying, hey, we need all this money urgently is really, really just lying to people's faces when you're only going to use a small chunk of it in like the next few months. Um, and, and then he, he, he does mention that a lot of these policies are anti-job creation. 
and you could just CC the last episode on that on that front, um, where a lot of reasons to think that the minimum wage uh, legislation, if anything, will, will cut a bunch of jobs, even though it gives people some people wage increases. Um, and then the other thing he mentions here is something we've talked about um, in the past weeks on this show. I, I think about a month ago I started saying this, but the big problem with this being considered a stimulus instead of just like a recovery package is a lot of the jobs that are closed aren't because um, people don't have money to spend. It's because of le legislation and the coronavirus um, and the coronavirus fears. So if, if you're limited to 25% capacity at a restaurant, you're never going to have your whole staff back as long as that regulation is in place. You're just not. So those jobs will never fully return to normal until you're back up and running at 100% capacity with similar foot traffic. So how are those? How, how would a stimulus bring back those jobs? It won't. So, okay, so, so Mitt Romney continues, sending out checks won't get consumers back into restaurants, bars, salons, malls, hotels, or airplanes. Near record levels of savings are evidence that consumers are able to spend. When COVID is finally in the rearview mirror, they will come roaring back. Congress should target assistance to those who need it and help speed the delivery of vaccines, not borrow hundreds of billions more to check items off a political wish list, deepening the nation's debt and risking inflation. Okay, uh, I'm, I'm just going to keep going. Um, and by, by, by the end of the piece, I'll talk about a lot of the, the little things I have problems with. So, so then he goes on to say the bill is also filled with bad policies and sloppy math. It calls for $350 billion for state and localities. If you live in New York, you might think that sounds about right because the pandemic severely exacerbated your state's existing financial woes, but New York's is, is the exception. Florida hasn't even had to dip into its rainy day fund. California has a multi-billion dollar surplus. Utah's revenues rose by double digits. J.P. Morgan found that 21 states had revenue increases in 2020. Other states threw on rainy day funds, which is what they're there for. Only a few are in severe financial distress. The same is true of cities and counties. Some are hurting, but the great majority aren't. Most local tax revenue comes from property taxes, which are far less volatile than sales or income taxes. Sending out hundreds of billions of dollars to states and localities regardless of need is both wasteful and harmful. It would create incentives for the mismanagement that got some states into fiscal trouble in the first place. So this is what I'm hearing a lot from people who are kind of on the, the ANCAP side of things, people who are more libertarians, not just Republicans. They're, they're really hitting home that they're, 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 the, the mainstream media, the corporate press, is just hitting us with all these job losses have hurt cities. Cities have had all these layoffs. But in the end, property taxes have actually, um, in, in certain places, the taxes have increased and only a very few select places are in financial woes. And in reality, it seems like a lot of these bailouts are for other pre-existing concerns that predated COVID. So I, I guess an example I'd give is if anybody's familiar with the, uh, any of the pension crises in any of the states, a lot of state-run pensions are really poorly managed because a lot of states' constitutions require balanced budgets. But if you have a pension fund, you just have to fund the liability. So uh, imagine you know that $100 billion is going to get taken out in the future, so you need to put in a certain amount today to make sure that $100 billion could be met in the future. Well, the thing is, if you assume a different interest rate year over year, you have to put in less money to the budget into that pension fund. So if you assume a 10% interest rate year over year, you can allocate way less money to the pension fund, even if the real return is only going to be 2%. So a lot of states have done that over time, leading to massive pension crises. So in reality, what a lot of this is, is just bailouts to states that have other bad policies that have always been lingering there, even though revenues haven't really changed. And I know the Cato Institute's also done a lot of work about states' revenues not really changing year over year, and only being some states. So there's a lot of data breakdowns on all that. 
So, so, so then it goes on to say extending federal supplemental unemployment benefits beyond March 14th is a good idea that merits bipartisan support, but the Biden stimulus calls for a check of $400 a week in addition in addition to state checks through September. At that level, the majority of the unemployed would make more by not working. Employers already complain that they can't find employees. So what this is talking about is, and this was a whole scandal when it comes to, I guess, the left on Twitter, where they, they were like, how dare Republicans be upset? Because, look, a person who's making $10 an hour is now making more money. Um, why, why, why is that such an evil thing? But the thing is, if you're trying to get people back into jobs, you're creating an incentive for them to not look for jobs because they make less not working. And you're, you're really just subsidizing people who aren't in dire need of the money because they're making more than they're actually needing pre-COVID. Okay. So it goes on to say the Biden stimulus calls for $170 billion for education, yet has no realistic plan to reopen K-12 schools. Further, of the $80 billion Congress already authorized for education, $68 billion hasn't yet been used by schools and in universities. So even though in the past bills they've allocated $80 billion, most of it hasn't even been spent yet anyways, which kind of invalidates a lot of the call for this $1.9 trillion stimulus plan. Um yeah, so, so, so that, that's worth considering. It is interesting to put that into context with a lot of the corporate press's coverage because it just shows that they're overtly lying to people, right? Um, it, it's just saying, hey, think of the children, and in reality, they have plenty of money set aside for the children they just haven't used yet, and they're overtly being dishonest about it. Stunningly, the CBS says only 4% of the K-12 spending in the Biden bill would occur in 2021 and that some education and labor funds would remain unspent in 2029 after a potential Biden second term. If the administration is unable to make good on its commitment to get students back in classroom five days a week in its first 100 days, the unspent money should be given directly to students and parents to spend on tuition at schools that are open or on tutors, summer programs, or homeschool efforts. We can't let unreasonable demands by teacher unions keep schools closed that can safely reopen. So he's just in general, saying something that's vaguely pro-school choice and anti-school teacher unions, which is which is fine, sure, that, that's okay. We're, we're not going to hit him too hard for that right now. Okay, um, I, I guess the last two paragraphs aren't particularly interesting. Um, it's just saying that they, they should have a plan that's about $618 billion instead to compromise, and that could act, they could actually negotiate something reasonable, but there's all this clearly... Um, clearly dishonest junk in here so no, no, there, there, there shouldn't be any bipartisan support for that reason alone okay so the reason why i find this such a i guess interesting piece that that's worth examining is this kind of re represents a lot of situations in left-right discourse and i it makes me understand why a lot of people who are libertarian end up voting republican or settling for republican or um a lot of people just consider themselves anti-left so it's, it's this idea that it's very easy to take the weak points of your opponent's argument and then absolutely dismantle them, show how people are lying to your face, show how they're bad actors, and how everything they're going to do is clearly inefficient. And um, and all of those points on that front are very, very correct. And this is why in the past I, I thought I was a person who was right-wing, because even though I didn't share any principles, not, not, not that they even really have principles, but it's just that, like, look how obviously silly these things are. All, all their messaging is about the children, and then... Uh, only a fraction is for the children, and the most of it won't even be spent in the name of coronavirus. So it's really just bailouts or uh, other increased spending that they've wanted for, for decades. That That isn't really necessary to any degree. Um, so so that's the stuff that Mitt Romney gets right. So I, I, I think that that's where I'm mostly going to stop being, I guess, positive 
on the, the, the Mitt Romney side of things. Um, I do think this article needs to be taken into context of something that came out briefly after this, where Mitt Romney suggested the compromise bill, and that, that also suggested like a lower minimum wage increase and things like that. And, and it's just really that in the end, after they critique the left, they end up just being the left going the speed limit. So at the end of this article, he, you know, he talks about how all this spending is going to be bad and inefficient, and then he gets around to, so we need to spend, you know, $618 billion. And $618 billion is the reasonable number. But you would still have to um, operate in the paradigm of that's $618 billion the government needs to borrow. Where are they going to drain money to pay for that? How is, is that just going to be more money printed by the Treasury? Is it going to be money that um, is just, you know, stolen from more people, more companies? Is this going to play into a debt crisis in the future? Is it just a less bad alternative, but still bad? So, so, so here's what the, here's the sneaky thing about Republicans like Mitt Romney is they, they can go out there and they can say something that is, you know, not, not 95% good points. But, but then in the end, the thing they stand for is just, so here's all these bad things. We're going to do the kind of bad thing. And then that's why they, they, they really, in the end, don't bring anything that's of, of value because, everything that he critiques right like like expanding the um expanding the unemployment benefits you, you, you can use his own critiques of um, how, how he's concerned by anti-job policies and then you can just twist him back on that it's like okay well you still think you want that relief but you, you've already mentioned the own your own argument against that which is that people still can't find workers and then that the real problem is the lockdowns but but his 1.9 his his 618 billion dollar plan isn't end the lockdowns because that's real economic relief. He's not calling for ending the lockdowns. He's saying yeah the problem is the lockdowns, but why would I call to to end those? Um, in the end, he's just saying yeah we'll we'll do the same we'll we'll do very similar handouts, but but we'll do them in a slightly smarter way, and then we'll we'll, we'll do more vaccines, and then we'll hope that's fixed. But 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 it's not about okay well now. He, his takeaway should be, okay, so stimulus isn't the answer to these economic woes. There are other issues. And then he should look at the lockdowns. And then he should look at people like Tom Woods, who put together websites of all the charts, right? You can look at the, um, the Great Barrington Declaration. I hope, I hope that's right off the top of my head. The Great Barrington De- Declaration. And they talk about the, the anti-lockdown science. And it makes sense. And no, nobody should be a proponent of the strict measures that are going on in all kinds of states. And it's not just about, oh, a bunch of states that have had revenue increases are going to get bailed out. That's bad. It's you're also subsidizing the bad anti-science decisions of like New York. And there's no reason why people should be doing that. So th- there are all these ways Mitt Romney could, could wrap up his article and call in for proposals. And then he should pretty much be saying all these things are non-starters. It's not just that we should do a light version of it. It's not that we should do 30% of this. It's that you need to take it a step further and completely reevaluate the process. Now, unfortunately, Mitt Romney is a institutionalist who does want some kind of bipartisan consensus. And that's why inevitably he'll be a Democrat just going, you know, he's, he's a Democrat driving the speed limit. So yeah, that's how you end up, end up here. Um, so, 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 so that's something I want to kind of bring to your attention. Like, hey, here's what's going on with the stimulus. Here's all the obvious things that you can point out that are wrong with it. But, but in the end, the, your, your best alternative um, in terms of the people who actually make the laws over you are the people who just do the same thing but slightly less bad. And I think the last kind of big picture point I wanted to tie into everything is, is this is what you end up getting when you have uh, whatever our government is, a, a representative democracy is you end up getting 
you, well, it's the it's the Tom Woods saying, no matter who you vote for, you end up with John McCain. So, 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 so what all we have here is we have people who want 1.9 trillion that's full of waste, and then you have somebody else who wants something that's very inefficient, but it's slightly less efficient. There are people who are like uh, Andrew Yang, who pretty much try to glorify efficient policies. And you, you can imagine a world where the government does everything optimally. You have the technocrats in there breaking down what policy is more efficient. And then you get over the fact that you're dehumanizing everybody and then just doing things that are um, the you know most optimal consequentialist calculus. Even if that's possible, you never get it with representative democracy. You never do. You end up getting all these people who pander about certain issues and they try to pass $1.9 trillion that isn't even about education. There's $68 billion for education spending that's just sitting there. And yet they roll this out and they say, we need it for the kids. So in the end, even though some people might say, well, government could work and out and support our current government. The government should just do X, Y, and Z optimal things. Well, this is what you end up with. You end up with $1.9 trillion in the name of kids when there's already $80 billion sitting there in the name of kids. And it's, it's really just people who are lying, people who are stealing from you, people who are spending your money on things that are inefficient and are their pet projects that make them look good, make them get reelected, and it's things that serve their interests. It's never optimal for society, even if you can measure what's optimal for society, which you can't even do. So I, I, I think this is a, is a noteworthy example of thinking about government, thinking about the two parties, and it's all highlighted and hopefully something educational about the current event of, the, of this stimulus bill. So, I mean, obviously, I hope this bill dies a terrible death. I hope um, I hope Man- Mansion or Cinema end up turning it down, and I hope that they force a compromise of something lower than $1.9 trillion. But I don't think that's the most likely thing at this point. Also, Mitt Romney fails to just fit, he completely fails to mention the $15 minimum wage provision, um, which, although I already talked about that enough, it's really a bad policy. It's, it's really going to dehumanize a bunch of people. It's going to take away their livelihoods. And it's going to price people out and ruin their lives. And so, so much more stuff I talked about in the last episode. So, and he doesn't even touch on that. And he, he suggests an $11 minimum wage, which is just the, the same problems as the $15 ones, but to a slightly less extent. So if there's any takeaways, it's that Republicans are Democrats driving the speed limit, as, as Michael Malice says. Um, Okay, guys. Well, I hope you enjoyed this this much briefer episode that, that was a little more focused. Um, if you want to follow up and uh, send in comments about this episode or get in contact, you can find me on Twitter at Matthew T. Keck, or you can find me at The Obey Podcast. You can also catch me on Beyond Talking Points, which is a weekly podcast where me and a me, me and my co-host, who's also named Matt, we um, argue about policies and philosophies. He comes from more anarcho-communist type perspective, and I come from a more anarcho-capitalist perspective. And we, we duke out all kinds of things, um, especially when we talk about current policies, because in theory he's an ANCOM, but in the end he sides with um, well, what people would see as the progressive left. And um, as you can tell by this episode on the stimulus, I am really against any government spending, especially bad government spending, which is really all government spending in practice. So you can hear us be lively about it and have some pretty fun arguments over on that podcast feed. Um, So with that said, check out the future episodes, check out the backlog. I hope you enjoyed and sign off for now. It's Matthew Keck. If you enjoyed the episode, please leave a rating or review on your favorite podcatcher or share the podcast with a friend. You can find out more information about the Obey podcast at anchor.fm 
slash Obey Podcast or on Twitter at The Obey Podcast. Until next time. Next time.